Hey. What's up? Um, welcome, listener, to the 13th Floor Podcast. I'm Cece. I'm Alex. I'm James. This week we're going to talk about out-of-place animals, as suggested to us, by our lovely Patreon supporter, Henry the Host. Mm, so, what's up, Henry? Yeah, hey, Henry. Howdy. James, how have you been? I've been good. I bet you guys. We've been wonderful. We've been as good as we can be. Hmm. Um, but I hear you got some new pets. Yeah. I was uh, going to bed one night, and I felt something run over my foot. Like, you know, crawl over it. Oof. And when I turned the light on, I had a wolf spider. So now she's my pet, and her name is Lobo. And, Lobo. Yeah. And uh, then when I was driving... I, oddly enough, I was going to buy crickets from my spiders, and I reached down to get a quarter, and there's a little jumping spider on the quarter. And then I used the quarter to buy it a cricket instead. So now <laughs> I have a uh, male juvenile Phidippus audax, which I have named Dax. Very um, cute. Da- Dax is actually cute. Your yeah. wolf spider is horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> really good. Yeah. Objectively, they're horrifying, but that's what's cool about them. For a second, I thought you said a wolf spider, like as what a dog says, a wolf. Oh, a wolf spider. You mean wolf. That'd be adorable. A wolf spider. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a wolf spider. At night, I just use here. Woof. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? No, James would have heard it cross before it crossed his foot. Oh yeah. See, James, I can't do that. If something walks across my foot in the middle of the night, you get into stomp action. I'm sorry. It's had. There's no way I'm going to be able to not do it. Well, it's not that I, I don't think that I would stomp it, but I would like try and kick it across the room, and then I would lose well, it, and then that's it. It's yeah, gone. I mean, I would be dancing for sure. Well, this one walked really slow. It wasn't like a creepy scuttle, and that's because it was either exposed to pesticides or dehydrated. Because now it's like hyper, but before it was like sluggish. James, can I ask you a question? Sure. What have you done at your home to warrant so many spiders just appearing? Uh, have spiders in it and they just see them and they're like, oh my God, it's all my friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I swear to God, I've seen spiders everywhere. This is like the year of jumping spiders or something. I see one every day now. Pandemic really let them, uh, let them soar. Yeah. Yeah, well, we saw a spider in our house the other day, and I looked at it. I saw it crawling across the wall, and I said, Alex, there's a spider over there. And he said, oh, okay. And that was that. We don't know where it is. It's somewhere in we our were, house. We were recording. I didn't want to get it. Oh, yeah, we were recording, weren't we? Well, hey, anyways. Good deal. You got a little friend who will take care of pests. Yeah, that's exactly what I said when I saw him crawling across the wall. Hmm. Said, well, if he takes care of pests and he isn't one, yeah. that's all I got to ask. There you um, go. You guys, is it time for our hearty hellos? Yes. Let's do it. Let's take a let's take a trip around the globe. Cause today, you guys, we're gonna say hello to everybody in Ukraine because we've had a big old spike in the Ukraine. Nice. What's up? We're also gonna say hello to the United Arab Emirates. Oh. I don't know. Like, have we ever said hello to them before? I think uh, once. maybe. I don't know. Well, we're saying hello again, and then here in the U.S. of A., we're gonna say hello to. Mississippi. M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. Isn't that how we all learned how to spell it? That it sure is. is. Yeah. <laughs> so hello to Mississippi and wherever you're listening, around the globe. We just want to extend our hand and give you a handshake. Just make mm. sure you got your hand sanitizer. Although no. everything's... No, everything's- we, we, we're, over at 13th floor, we're strictly blood oaths. So oh. we, we cut our hands and then we shake. There we go. Oh, man. Congrats, Mississippi, on being the default measurement for a second. 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. One Mississippi. Um, is there anything we want to talk about before we get to our icebreaker? It was unbearable. Only thing I gotta say, we finally hit the day. Today was the day. Unbearably hot. Oh yeah, Alex was very upset by. It's the crazy wet hot. Heat. Yeah. Uh, unacceptable. Unacceptable. Oh, oh yeah, and and this is not me being mean. I swear, it's not a backhanded compliment. But thanks so much, Podbean, um, for giving us a little notification. We actually have a badge now that we can put anywhere for ten thousand downloads. Um, funny enough, though, we're like close to fifty thousand. Well, that's, that's, that's what I saw. I saw that we got the badge, and I just thought, oh, that would have been cool. Like when we hit ten thousand, like a year and a half ago. <laughs> but yeah. Are we going to get another badge for 50K? We will uh, yeah. to 100K. In like yeah. 18 months, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I swear yeah. I swear to God, I'm not being mean. Like, it's it's funny to me, not not an irritation or anything. No, I think it's fun. It's yeah. fun. And it just, I don't know, it's kind of like a little, puts a little pep in my step to know that at least someone has been interested <laughs> least, enough to listen to. At least this computer program has told me someone's listened. 50,000 times our episodes have been downloaded. It's pretty Almost. nice. Yeah, it's pretty nice. So yeah. I think it's time for our icebreaker. Yeah. James. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what a pun. Oh, man. Um, let's see. Okay. Oh, oh, wow. I can't believe I just thought of a really good one. Um, <laughs> as we know, living fossils are known for being relatively unchanged. That doesn't mean completely unchanged. Um, and that's one of the topics today, one of them. So I wonder if you could live for hundreds or thousands of years and there was one thing about the world that you you could just snap your fingers and it's going to stay the same no matter what, what would it be? Ooh, well, like if we're going to be alive? Yeah. Mm. If we're going to be alive, what do we want to see mm. thousands of years from now? Gwen. Gwen, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a cute answer. Now I feel like my, my answer of ice cream. <laughs> oh man, I've been I've been craving ice cream really bad. So the, I'm just I'm just gonna say it. Alex has taken my answer, oh, so yeah. I can't okay. reuse it. Right? Yeah. Mm. I wonder what your answer would have been. Ice cream. Ice cream. <laughs> or soup. I really like soup, James. James. Yeah, it's a shame they won't make soup in the future. Mm. Well, this one is unfortunately unrealistic, but I guess that's the point of the question. Um, yeah. You know, recently seeing uh, Darwin's Arch crumble, um, oh, that was this yeah. week, um, has made me think about, you know, certain things that I, I think of as lasting. You know, even the Grand Canyon is going to go away someday. Um, and I got me thinking, I really, really want to see Venice. And even if I see Venice, I probably still want it to be what it is. So I think I would just put a little bubble around Venice, and Venice is just always going to be what it is. Mm. Wow. You guys That's a good idea. some really good answers. Yes. He's worried about things that will de- probably still be made. Well, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking that. I was like, ice cream's going nowhere. I don't know about that. You don't know about that. We could lose some vegetables over the years. You know, species can go extinct. And also, also... Um, what if cows disappear? I hear that there's a big old X on cows, according to Bill Gates, isn't there? He wants to get rid of all the cows. That's true. He's uh-huh. he's kind of getting canceled though. So yeah, we'll see. I, I, th- I, th- I think the people will get rid of Bill Gates before yeah. Bill <laughs> Gates get gets rid of, rid of cats. cats. Wouldn't it be crazy if it turns out the the whole reason why he's getting canceled though is because he's actually getting smeared by literally 
the cows. That would oh. be incredible. They're fucking oh, back. It, it's, um, it's been the Chick-fil-A cows the whole time. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've made me second guess my answer a lot, but you know what? It stands. I've already answered it. I'm not going to backpedal now because I'm not weak like that. So <laughs> how about we just move on to our topics? What do you say? Sounds good. Sounds good to me. Okay, and I'm going first. And if you, listener, you might hear a little bit of snoring. I promise you that's not me. That's not Alex. That's our dog, Louise. I'm trying to poke her occasionally so she stops snoring. Yeah, she's been snoring. So, anyways, okay. Let me pull up my notes really fast, you guys. You thought you'd been prepared declaring that you were going to go first before the show even started. Chicken. <laughs> what combo you pick? Okay, all right, you guys. Let's talk about some invasive species because these are animals that are out of place you know like our topic (laughs) (laughs) wow okay and this was this was uh requested exactly by henry so i've got to i've got to give the man what he wants that's right so i've got a lot i'd like to discuss when it comes to invasive species because i'm going to talk about some of the different kinds um but obviously i can't talk about all of them because there are a lot a lot a lot so hmm. I'm going to talk about the ones that are particularly causing chaos these days. And first up, requested by Henry the host directly, is the snakehead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever heard of a snakehead, Alex? Yeah, snakes have them. No. It's, I mean, they do. <laughs> but this is a fish. And it's a fish that kind oh, of resembles yeah. a snake in the face. It's yeah, got a snake this. head. Yeah. And it's got these sharp little nasty looking teeth. And they look like they would... Probably hurt if they got a hold of you. But fortunately... Most teeth would. <laughs> most teeth would. Um, but they try to avoid humans. So I don't think you have to worry about getting bitten by a snakehead. That being said, they have bitten people before. So you guys, watch out for them. And if you watch, if you find any, especially in America, you catch it. And I'm going to tell you what you're supposed to do with it if you catch one. Okay, so... thing that's really troublesome about them is that they can actually breathe air... So they can crawl around. They can like wiggle on the land shore and land for short periods of time. So they can be like, like you could have a snakehead that says, I don't like this pond. I want to find a different one. Uh, And then it wriggles onto the land and goes to another nearby pond. This thing sounds awesome. Alex, (laughs) hold on. (laughs) They're carnivorous predators, which makes them extra adept at outcompeting our native species. Mm. And they're originally from Asia where they're a very important food source. And also, according to Wikipedia, it said that they're respected by fishermen because they, like, the mommy and daddy snakeheads, if the need arises, they will sacrifice themselves to protect their young. How does that go down? Do they dive in front of a bullet, or what do they do? I, that's a good question. I don't know, but that's just what Wikipedia told me. Hmm. Interesting. I guess they probably witnessed it, like, with other carnivores. You know who edited that, that article? A snakehead. (laughs) (laughs) Snakeheads, they they made their way to Europe and North America over the years, and that's no bueno because they're predators with no mercy upon (laughs) any of our native fishies. Uh Uh-oh. And GeorgiaWildlife.blog, because they're here in Georgia now, Alex. Oh, the the Georgia Wildlife? The GeorgiaWildlife.blog. Oh, I got you. The snakeheads are in... I thought you were saying like, the blog is now in Georgia. No. I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> no, the snakeheads. I got you. Good Lord. 
the blog writes that officials say that if you see a snakehead, you should first catch it. Then you need to kill it using some object. If I, if I found one, maybe I'd use a club because I don't know how to kill things. <laughs> yeah, but you just carry a club with you. Carry a club with me. <laughs> um, snap a picture of it. Wrap it in a little piece of wax paper. Put it in your freezer. And then contact your local wildlife office to tell them you caught a snakehead because they shouldn't be around here. Are they going to pay me? Um, no, but they're going to say, what GPS coordinate did you ca- catch that fish at? And then you would say, I caught it here. And then they would go. They would like drain the pond, see if they could find any more because they're not supposed to be here. They're like wiping out our native fish. It's not hmm. good. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, but that's what one man did in 2018 in Maryland. His name was Andy Fox. And he saw one and he was like, oh, snap, it's a snakehead. And he grabbed his bow and arrow, and he caught it. What? He shot the snakehead with a bow and arrow. Oh, yeah. That's bow fishing is flipping cool. I want to do it. I know. And he said it's it's the biggest snakehead ever shot. 20 pounds. Ever shot? Three feet long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it said shot. So I'm not going to say it's the biggest snakehead ever found, but it did say. Shot. Yeah, ever shot. He, On a he, Thursday. He was just having a good time. And there he goes, breaking a world record. Yeah, I know. He's just like, oh, look, it's a snakehead. <laughs> Daryl, get me my bow. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, if you see a snakehead anywhere other than in Asia, please do your duty and catch it. And, and murder it. Well, and murder it. <laughs> I hate saying that, but anyways. there You can eat them. I wouldn't eat it just because it looks so scary. He's got that snakehead. <laughs> they are a delicacy <laughs> in some places. You know... What else aren't easy to deal with, boys? Mm. Burmese pythons. Uh. The Everglades. Literally, the only reason that I wanted to mention these, because I feel like most people know that these are invasive. Invasive. (laughs) Invasive. They're not natural to the Everglades. The only reason I want to talk about this is because I just want to remind everybody of one of my favorite shows on the History Channel. (laughs) 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 After the TV show alone, which BTW, a new season is coming out this coming week. But, of course, I'm talking about swamp people, serpent invasion. (laughs) So if you want to get a good idea on how much trouble these snakes are causing in the Everglades alone, check out the show. And if you've got the guts and upper body strength to go out into nature and catch these things, then haul them back out of the swamps, preferably alive. You want to take them back to officials when they're alive. You could earn yourself a little extra money. So according to PHYS.com, I don't know what that stands for, but that was the website. In 2020, Florida was offering an hourly rate to python hunters. Then if you catch any, you get a bonus and it's $50 for every four foot snake. Then an additional 25 for each extra foot plus 200 if it's a nesting female. But average python size is between eight to 10 feet. So if you caught one, you know, you would you'd be looking at least one hundred fifty dollars if it was that size. But they can grow as big as twenty feet long. So if you got a twenty foot long python, holy crap, that's a nice little chunk of change. <laughs> so if you think you have the stomach for it, by all means, go out and do it. I think I once joked on here that I would go and do it. Maybe it would get me uh, help me to overcome my fear of snakes. But that's one way to do it. That's one way to do it. Let's talk about nasty, nasty insect now called the Formosan termite. James, you know anything about Formosan termites? Yeah, I do, but I'm going to yeah. let you talk about them. Yeah, I'm going to talk about them. When, when I was in college, I took an evolutionary biology class, and for some reason, my professor did a lecture 
where he talked about these things and they are scary because um, they can do some really serious damage, like even more so than just a regular termite because regular termites are bad. I saw a termite today. Uh, James, I hope it wasn't at your house. Nope. It was actually an adult, uh, like a reproductive one, whatever they're called. Can't think of it. Hoplites? Wow. Something like that. Where did Where did you see it? I was at a coffee shop and I was outside. It just flew on my hand. And you thought, I should tell the coffee shop about this termite that is outside their building? Or did you just say, no? Nah. I said, eh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that everyone knows what termites do. They eat wood. But Formosan termites are like if regular termites took lots and lots of steroids. And they're very aggressive eaters. And they're originally said to be from China. And they probably made their way to the States via cargo. China. Like shipments of wood. And <laughs> you can find them in Hawaii. They cause lots of damage in Louisiana. We also have them here in Georgia, cool. Alex. So we need to watch out. But they can consume a two by four in as little as 25 days, depending upon the size of the colony. So they can cause some serious structural damage to homes. Wow. They're very challenging to get rid of. If you get them, it's going to take quite a bit of work. But they'll also destroy railroad trusses. So you just, you're on a railroad and all of a sudden, oh, God, no, I don't want to think about it. Boats, <laughs> trees. And in 2005, they estimated, they're estimated to have caused power outages after feasting on utility poles. Well, so they just knock over it. all the power poles and then everyone's like, oh, my, my electricity's off. <laughs> so collectively, they're estimated to cause more than $5 billion in damage each year. Well, um, oh, okay. I'm going to talk about starling now, and then and then I'm going to... Okay. Another invasive species that I just want to get really quick mention of is the European starling, specifically because of how they made their way to North America. They're a problem in the U.S. because, one, they push native bird species out of their homes. Two, they cause damage to crops. Three, some people don't like them because they're loud. They make loud noises, and people are like, Ooh. whatever, I don't like them. But they were introduced to the U.S. in 1890, <laughs> so they've been around here for a while, but they were willingly released into New York Central Park by a group of bookworms who wanted to introduce all bird species mentioned by William Shakespeare into the United States of America. And so yep. that's why they're here now. That's why people shouldn't read. <laughs> Good idea. Oh. <laughs> and apparently there are 200 million across like North America now, which is a lot. But they, most of them came from this original flock of 100 birds. So it's like there's not very much genetic. Mm, this is all stupid. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It was specifically and, one guy too. Like, like I think about that and I think, man, if somebody could be, you know, perfect example of our icebreaker. I wish that he didn't die so we could kill him. Uh, Eugene <laughs> Shifflin, total nut job. Yeah, he's just like, I love William Shakespeare. Yeah. Starlings. Yeah. Wow. Well. My next invasive species may come as a surprise to you, lovely listener. And I'm going to talk about the domestic cat. Oh. Yay, I'm talking about your precious whiskers and snowball. And a cat lover myself, this one, it guts me. So according to CBS Cats, they were domesticated and originally bred from wild cats. And they're just like smaller and became more homely over time. But they, they still got a wild side to them. They're natural predators. So even if you have a pet cat and you allow it to be free range and you let it go outside and quote unquote be a cat, even if you feed it like the fanciest fancy feast meals, when it gets outside, it's going to hunt because it's still got that wild side to it. And it'll catch all types of creatures in the U.S. every year. 
Cats are estimated to kill 2.4 billion birds. My cat used to catch birds all the time, and she also used to catch snakes. And I was always told that cats would catch animals as gifts for their owners. And my cat, Cleo, brought us a lot of gifts over her 22 years of life. And on more than one occasion, she would bring them into the house. Like, we would open the door to let her in, not looking at her. And she's got a live bird in her mouth. She just let it go. We have got a bird flying around her house. (laughs) Yeah, She's trying to teach you how to kill. But she did that with snakes, too. And so we would have a live snake like in the kitchen. And I'm like, I'm not doing this. So I would call over my neighbor. He was amazing. His name was Milton Cobb. And he was a World War II vet. And he would come in and catch the birds and the snakes and get them out of our house. So anyways, um, the last invasive species I'm going to mention today, also specifically requested by Henry Zahost, is the camel. Did you guys know that there are thousands of feral camels in Australia that just walk around and raise hell? I did not know this. No, I didn't know that one. Yeah, according to the BBC, camels were brought to Australia by British settlers in the 1800s. They're native to Asia and Africa, arid places typically. So when they got to Australia, they were like, it's time to party. And party they did because there are now said to be hundreds of thousands of wild, not domesticated, but wild camels just chilling in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Causing huge problems with the local ecosystems And last year in 2020, Australia decided it needed to do something about the camels because they were really doing some damage. And if you'll remember, last year they had those awful wildfires in Australia. They sent all the camels into it. (laughs) (laughs) No. Well, the camels, they got thirsty because there's no water anywhere. So then they would go into towns and try to drink all the water. They can hold a lot of water. I can't remember how fast they can drink, but they can drink a lot. Wait, camels can hold water? Listen, I think it said they could drink like 200 gallons of water in a matter of minutes. So they can they can inhale a lot of that stuff. Don't quote me on that. I think I'm just... Anyways, okay. So I found an article by the BBC about how they used a technique called culling, which I'll describe in a minute. But this is a quote from a board member of a small Aboriginal community who needed to handle the camels. And the woman, her name was Morita Baker. And of the camel situation, she had this to say. She said, quote... We have been stuck in stinking hot and uncomfortable conditions, feeling unwell because all the camels are coming in and knocking down fences, getting in around our houses and trying to get water out of air conditioners. So it's like they're going crazy trying to find water. But last year they ended up calling many of these camels, which is is kind of sad, you guys. Just a little sadness uh, warning right here. But they basically have snipers that hop in helicopters and then they just – from the air, take out camels one shot at a time. Dang. Yeah. Yeah, culling just means killing to reduce numbers. Well, culling in the camel situation, it's very controversial. Mm. Um, But camels are said to be a problem that you you can't just shoot them away. That's what a lot of people are saying. You can't just shoot all the camels away um, because they can get aggressive. And I read one article. They're thinking about trying to commercialize camels in some way. So... Um, Wait until you see the new BMW in Australia. (laughs) (laughs) No, it hasn't been immensely successful yet because there are a lot of obstacles, but we'll see what the future holds for the camels in Australia. Well, speaking of Australia, have you you guys ever heard of the Emu War? No, what's that? It's a real thing, a real thing. In 1932, for about a month, the Australian government tried to get rid of emus because there were so many. A cull. Not not extinct, but cull. And uh, so it was called the emu war. They took guns and they tried to kill a bunch of emus. And uh, 
they lost. They lost the emu war. <laughs> the emu's won. <laughs> <laughs> Just adds wow. up. Hmm. Wow. Awesome. Love wow. that story. Your your last story, I kind of remember, reminds me of my story. Oh, yeah? Which I want to talk about. Oh, Alex. Yeah. Is, Alex, what are you talking about talking today? About a story I call Pablo and Hippos. Pablo <laughs> and Hippos. Sounds like a kid's yes. book. Yes. It does. Yes, and this plays out... Uh, not really like that. <laughs> um, so I think most people know who Pablo Escobar is. You know, the drug king ben, kingpin oh, yeah. from Colombia who died in 1993. And unsurprisingly, uh, you know, he was known for having a lot, a lot, a lot of money. He lived a very lavish lifestyle. Yeah, so it's not surprising that he did some pretty crazy things. And one of the th- weirder things that he did is that he actually built a zoo. And while building the zoo... He, of course, needed some animals. Yeah. And, of course, he did what he was really great at, getting at them illegally. And so he imported some animals like giraffes, elephants, and some other exotic animals. And among those other exotic animals was the hippo. Your favorite animal. Yeah. Mm. Which we know, yeah, like you said, I'm a big fan of. And he imports four hippos. Three female, one male. Oh, wow. So Pablo has all these animals. He urges everyone to go through his zoo. Apparently, it was open to the public, so it sounded to me like there was like no charge, and people could just walk through and enjoy the animals. Now he probably would threaten your family at the end of it, or something <laughs> like that. But, <laughs> but yeah, so people were walking through. Uh, there's also another little interesting tidbit about the park is there were animals that were, or there were two, there were giant dinosaurs that he had commissioned to be created. That were made out of concrete, and he did it for his kid. And they they looked like they were like he had his kid draw a dinosaur, and then someone <laughs> made those dinosaurs into reality. Because like the triceratops is just like a little too long, and then the feet on the T Rex is like really strange. But we're talking about hippos, so we'll get back to the hippos. So Pablo goes and he gets himself killed. And the Hacienda Napoleus, which is where the zoo is located, they, they, it gets confiscated. And all of his assets get dispersed and, you know, relegated to wherever they're going to go. And in doing so, the animals all get relocated to different zoos all around the area. Except for the hippos. Why don't they just leave the hippos behind? Because, well, the hippos get left in their habitat, which is apparently pretty large. Like, it's a lake. Okay. This isn't, like, a a small space. And so they get left there because I guess it's hard to transport hippos. I mean, we got elephants and we got giraffes. (laughs) Yeah, but, I mean, they they transported the elephants and the hippos, or the elephants and the uh, giraffes, giraffes, but not the hippos. Yeah, again, they'll murder you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. So the hippos get left in their... Uh, I'll get into that in a second. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> they get left <laughs> in their habitat. And again, it's large. It's a, it's a lake. The estimate population of the lake about six years ago was about 50 to 60 hippos. That's, a, that's quite a few. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, they're, 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 and this is, this is over a pretty short period of time. It's like 20-something years, 25 yeah. years probably, that they're reproducing. And the, hip- the hippos aren't being handled or dealt with at all. Like, no one's going over and feeding them or anything like that. So this is, their habitat is, they're thriving. <laughs> so the park gets abandoned. The hippos get left alone. It all becomes overgrown. It all gets torn down. 
a theme park gets and a zoo get built re back up around it. So there's a theme park and a zoo built back around these hippos. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and like, it's got water slides and everything. Like this is a real deal theme park. Wow. And again, the one thing that never gets touched is the hippos. They're left alone. And their habitat is apparently surrounded by a pretty flimsy fence. So <laughs> about apparently about 12 hippos make a jailbreak <laughs> and they head <laughs> to the nearest water source. And they land in this river called the Magdalena, Magdalena. Magdalena River, which just so happens to be like this absolutely perfect habitat for them. It's got a bunch of areas with, with like... They were probably eyeballing it for years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're like looking at it like, like that, that water looks pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> but, so they get over there, and the, the river actually has a lot of spots with still water where they can just chill and hang out like you would expect them to do. And it's like the perfect depth for hippos, which I didn't realize hippos couldn't swim. Uh, so They walk under flash, the water. They walk, and so if they ever sink to the bottom, they just push off the bottom yeah. to get to the top, like bounce. which makes sense. But I never, I never realized they just couldn't like kick their feet just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I figured they had so much fat that they kind of floated. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking, but yeah, uh, it's kind of like adorable to picture in these murder machines just popping up off the bottom of the lake. <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway, so they're thriving. They're doing well. And the hippos, apparently, like I said, they, they like the area quite a bit. So, so much so that it was compared to what happens in Africa. So, in Africa, from ages seven to nine, males uh, mate with females, and the females are age nine to eleven. So, during those ages, they mate. However, the hippos in this area are apparently so happy. They start mating at as young as three. Oh. <laughs> so these hippos, like the females, are putting out calves every year. That's wow. a lot. <laughs> yeah. And they've been traveling. Apparently, they've now moved so far that they've been spotted 150 miles from the zoo. Jeez. <laughs> so they're not quite localized anymore. Uh People are, you know, scared of them. I'm uh, scared. Yeah, yeah. Like, like fishermen are especially scared of them. But then there's these other stories of people who get catch some babies, take them home, and raise them like they're dogs. So I mean, that's what I would do if I lived down there and I came across. There's a actually video. a few stories of that. Like they'll feed them milk and they'll give them like all these things. So yeah, it, it's a it's a wild world uh, down there. <laughs> In hippo land. So, <laughs> despite all these hippos, there have been zero deaths in wow. 40 years. <laughs> they haven't killed Maybe a nice single person. That's good. Um, one of the thoughts on this, on, as to a possible reason why, is because in Africa, a lot of the population is crowded around these water resources. Mm-hmm. And whereas here in Colombia, they're spread out apart. They're spread out further. So they're not irritating the hippos as much. Hmm. And so they're never really being aggressive towards them because they're not really in the way that often. Wow. Yeah. Which is pretty, uh, I don't know. I I was baffled when I saw no deaths from hippos. But (laughs) it will inevitably happen. There will be a point where one of these hippos goes and kills somebody. And they can't afford to move them all. I mean, these things are huge, and there's tons of them. 
And you can't neuter them because there's too many. You got to track down all the all the men. And the problem is, is even if you miss one of the males, they say that one male can make up the work for all the rest of them you got. <laughs> so he'll he'll go and get all the rest of them pregnant. Man. It's just the yeah. best case scenario for the one male that's left over. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know. But they did have they did stumble across one possible solution though. What's that? Well, apparently. Someone was setting up an electric fence to keep the hippo out, and they accidentally had the voltage too high. Well, <laughs> they fried them. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> the Gosh. whole neighborhood came, chopped them up, and ate them. They ate the hippo? Yep. Apparently, hippo tastes like pork. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Yeah. 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 So, they ate the hippo. Now, they don't recommend doing it because there are some uh, diseases that hippos could possibly transmit to humans. And you don't ever want an animal-to-human transmission no. of anything. That's how some people think we're in the situation we're currently in. Mm-hmm. Um, now, they can't do anything, really, to these hippos, like the coaling or anything like that, because people get up in arms. People get upset whenever you have to kill an it's animal. controversial. And, but but that's, that's the thing. It's like, Colombia doesn't want to look bad, because they're still retor- restoring the reputation from Pablo Escobar destroying it. And so they're like, we can't do anything. Like they kill, they had a couple people go and kill this aggressive. They called it a bull hippo. And there's a picture online of the people that caught it and killed it, um, online, and everyone threw a fit. And it's like, I I know it sucks that they killed this thing, but it's completely destroying this habitat. Yeah, I swear to God. They're they're <clears throat> they're so uh, like the camel thing. They're so worried about the what people think. Yeah, that they're letting the environment get destroyed. Yeah, so well, it's like, like the people can. who want to protect the environment are actually letting it be destroyed. Yeah, it's nonsense. <laughs> so it's, well, again, I love hippos. They're like my favorite animal. They're all three of our favorite animal. But let's face facts: nobody is doing that about snakeheads. It's because they're mammals and they're cute. Nobody's yes. like, oh my yeah. god, I can't believe you caught a snakehead. Oh my god, I can't believe you spread your house for termites. It's true. It is. It's true. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, thank you for telling us about the hippos. Yeah. James, I know you're talking about living fossils. I am. And uh, yeah, right off the get right at the gate, there's kind of a misconception about living fossils. A lot of people think that a living fossil is either an animal that hasn't changed like ever for millions of years or I've actually heard some people, this is like super erroneous. I uh, think that a living fossil is literally a, an animal that has lived for millions of years, like as an individual. <laughs> and neither of those are correct. As you can probably imagine really what a living fossil is. It's all kind of relative. Like pretty much what happens is if scientists find a species in the fossil record and they're like, Oh wow, what an interesting animal. Too bad. There's none. Thing that looks like that, haha! And then they find something <laughs> that looks like that. That's pretty much what makes it a living fossil. So, case in point, dogs are everywhere. We're very familiar with dogs. If you hadn't ever seen a dog, and nobody had ever seen a dog, and we saw a fossil record and showed a dog, and then one day somebody just turned up a Labrador, they'd be like, "Oh my god, a living fossil!" So it's it's relatively. Oh my god! I almost said relatively relative. It's somewhat <laughs> relative to uh, what we've already encountered. And by the way, resemble is the key word. They don't have to be genetically related 
to the animal. It can be a case of co-virgin evolution. It's not common, but it happens. And another thing that you will normally see in living fossils, and this almost sounds contradictory to the first point that I made, is they exhibit something called Brady-Telly. And that pretty much just means they have not changed much in their habitat for a long, long, long time. And the reason I say that is, you know, it sounds like, well, if they haven't changed their habitat, shouldn't they also not change over time? Well, a great deal can happen even in a very stable environment. So it does not mean that. And it's just a very common misconception. But the most famous example of a living fossil, I think, uh, would be the, the case of the seal camp. Because it's one of those funny examples of how science is always right because the moment it's wrong, it, it corrects itself in, instantly. And so what had happened with the coelacanth is people had thought for a long time that coelacanths went extinct 66 million years ago, which is, for the record, hmm. A long time ago, right? It's it's <laughs> it's not even really an, a, a number we can imagine. Like like if you right. think about five apples or a hundred apples, again, that that's just a silly made up number. It doesn't mean anything because it's such a big number. Right. You know, to be to put it in perspective, the dinosaurs seventy five million years ago. Remember, um, doesn't doesn't matter. You know, like like when you put it in that perspective, sixty six versus seventy five. That's a difference of. 14 mil or 10 million years, but it doesn't matter. You know, 10 million years means nothing within that context. And I know I'm going on a, a flipping rant about time, but it's just, it, it's that flipping long ago. <laughs> and people started seeing them. Uh, and they thought, oh, okay, well, scientists immediately dismissed it as, you know, well, that's just crazy and you're just a drunk fisherman. Um, but what ended up happening is it was actually caught in 1938. Which again, not long ago, <laughs> um, and it was actually you know because it was caught and actually taken to be identified. The immediate response is, "Oh, okay, never mind. Uh, we're still right." <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this is an animal that has not substantially changed next to its fossil record. So you look at the fossil record and you look at an animal that we thought went extinct 66 million years ago, and then you look at the living specimen and it's like pretty much the same animal. And what's and truly just- remarkable about that and what's, what's interesting about living fossils, the reason why they're so um, fascinating to people is because the world does change drastically and a lot happens and there's good reason for things to change genetically and morphologically over time. And yet some things don't. And there's a few reasons why one being, and this is part of what our fascination is because it just didn't have to like, even with all the evolutionary pressures that took place, it was such a, I, I don't want to use the word perfect, but it was such a uh, skillful organism that there was no need to really, you know, roll with the punches. It was just good the way it was. Yeah. So that's that's one of the reasons why that that's interesting. And then another reason why is every now and again we come across sort of these little bubble habitats where things are so stable that there's also not much of an incentive to change. And lastly, and this is this is when it gets really cool. I think this is probably what fascinates people the most about living fossils 
is a lot of times, and this is a common trait among living fossils, a lot of times they will be very, very, very geologically widespread in the past, you know, where, where, where people do see that fossil record. And then one just turns up in a really isolated spot. Where, you know, you just think, oh, well, this animal went extinct such and such time ago. And then you go to Borneo and then you go to some little coastal village and lo and behold, there's an animal that, you know, shouldn't exist and used to be all over the place. But now it's just a coastal Borneo, you know, that's a Hmm. fascinating thing that happens quite frequently when you're dealing with living fossils. Now, of course, the reason why living fossils are... uh, they're so captivating is because they themselves are not a frequent occurrence. The rarity is yeah. what makes it interesting. And there are so many um, uh, to list, despite the fact that they are a rarity in and of themselves, simply because we live on a very, very diverse planet. And there are living fossils in literally every possible clade, even bacteria. There are instances where we have come across a uh, bacterium that you know, we thought, wow, this is an animal that reproduces really, really, really fast. And yet here's one that hasn't really changed in three and a half billion years. And that's not an exaggeration. That is something that does transpire. Um, Similarly with plants, uh, there's a lot of ancient plants that haven't changed much. It's one of the things we learn about in early biology class. I'm sure you guys remember learning about the really primitive plants, you know, the ones without a vascular system, like mosses and ferns and whatnot. Well, actually, ferns yeah. have a vascular system. But, you know, they reproduce with spores, which is a very odd thing for a plant. That's something we all learn about. But if you think about it, that's a living fossil. That is something that when all the other plants adapted to different conditions and ended up going a very different route, case in point, having seeds, ferns still th- flourished. They're everywhere even though they have this very archaic means of reproducing. And Mm. one example of a living fossil, now we're going to move on to animals just because they're more interesting and also because the topic is animals. Um, One that I think might surprise you guys because I certainly don't think of it when I think of of, of a living fossil would be the very first thing you see when you see a list of animals. Can you guess why? No. Alligator, because it starts the alphabet. The very good Alex, but it's aardvark for the same uh. reason. Yeah, aardvark. Like, I never would have thought about that as a living fossil, and yet the first uh, instance of its existence was in the fossil record, and it wasn't until later when, uh, you know, Western scientists went to Africa that they were like, hang on. <laughs> so I just think that's really cool. Similarly, uh, possums are living fossils. They have not changed oh, dramatically possums. in a long time. And they're a really interesting case, too, because – and this is something that I've, I, I may have even talked about on the show before, but probably not. But marsupials <laughs> and monotremes uh, are two other kinds of mammals. By the way, all monotremes – are also uh, living fossils. There's only two flipping echidnas and platypus, but pretty much when Pangaea existed, one big continent, there were different kinds of mammals. And ultimately the placennials like us won out and they outcompeted all the other mammals, except Australia for some weird reason where monotremes and uh, uh, marsupials are super common. Well, except for one weird, weird exception. That's why it's a uh, living fossil. The American possum 
it's a marsupial, but it's in the United States. It's in the New World. And that is such an odd thing. It's the only marsupial that didn't uh, that, that made it out of the Australian portion of Pangaea that survived and outcompeted its rivals. And, you know, it's still around. And you can look outside your yard at night in the American South, and there's probably going to be one. So that's just a really interesting example to me. There's so many living fossils that I'm not going to list them all, but I'm just going to point out some of the ones that I find particularly interesting. Pelicans. That's surprising to me. Um, They've actually been more uh, widespread in the Eocene than fellow reptile. And yeah, birds are technically reptiles uh, than crocodiles. So in other words, pelicans are are dinosaurs too, in that respect. You know, we think of crocodiles as dinosaurs, but their pelicans are just as old and they've just as unchanged. So how cool is that? That's really cool. Yeah. And there are several other birds, but none of them are quite as interesting in my opinion as, as pelicans. Sorry. Uh, magpie geese. Uh, <laughs> um, and of course, crocodiles and alligators and caimans and, and gobbles. Those are all the, all the crocodilians are living fossils, snapping turtles, alligator snapping turtles, which that one shouldn't be too surprising considering they literally look like dinosaurs. They're scary. Yeah. Um, hagfish are a very old fish, a very strange primitive fish. And they're, they're, they're similar to lampreys, which are also living fossils. And what's so odd about them is again, they, they don't really have bones and they have these weird sucking mouths that just anatomically, uh, they remind me more of an invertebrate, like a mollusk or something, and yet they are a fish. We all know the most famous bony fish, the seal canth already. But one that I thought was really interesting was the arapaima, because I loved, used to love to watch that uh, monster fish show. And it's a massive, massive Amazonian fish that could basically like knock you out just by swimming into you. Just a really remarkable fish. Um sure. One that shocked me that wasn't on there was the great white. The great white is not a living fossil, despite the fact that coevolution wise, it resembles, it's just a smaller version of that doesn't, it's not enough to qualify because it's smaller version, but it resembles, it's completely unrelated um, megalodon, but it's not a living fossil. I would have just assumed that a great white was, you know? Yeah. However, the bullhead shark and the goblin shark, that's one of me and Alex's. I was going to say, about the goblin shark? The goblin shark is creepy. The ma- goblin shark is creepy, and it's actually the only living member of its genus left. So that's another thing that often uh, is a criteria that's looked at is, you know, if it's an, the only extant example. Um, now, when it comes to insects, there are several. And when it comes to crustaceans, there are several. And when it comes to other invertebrates, there are several. But I'm just going to talk about three really quick, and then I'm, I'm going to be done with living fossils. And that is one of my favorite creatures on earth, the horseshoe crab. I am utterly fascinated by these animals. They have a weird set of eyes, very primitive. They're more related to spiders than they are to uh, crustaceans. They have sky blue blood that we all probably, statistically speaking, and a lot of you listeners, uh, we owe our lives to because it's actually how we test uh, a number of things, including vaccines. And it, we don't really have an alternative sure. to that. I don't know if you guys knew that, but we yeah. actually need horseshoe crab blood, that weird sky oh, blue yeah. blood. We've because, talked about this on the show before. Yeah. yeah. What? 
We've mentioned it once before. Oh, did we? Oh, wow. Um, Very briefly. Well, okay, then I won't go too far into it then. But it's just really interesting that like we owe our, our lives statistically. I mean, not necessarily, but chances are uh, you're, you're here listening to the show because of horseshoe crab. So that's flipping amazing to me. And the last two that I'm going to talk about are both arachnids. And that is, uh, one, trapdoor spiders. And the reason why I mention that is just because it's something that has fascinated me for a long time. I even want one. Because if you look at a trapdoor spider, you'll you know, your immediate thought uh, is there's something kind of off about it. And that's because the abdomen looks like every other arachnids. And that's something Darwin pointed out, by the right. way, that... Something that's very ancient often has traits that are found in a number of like uh, descended species or genera or families. Um, the trapdoor spider looks at, you know, cephalothorax and legs and fangs. It looks like a spider. But then when you look at the abdomen, it's got these dorsal plates that are more reminiscent of like a scorpion than a spider oh, yeah. or an apilion, a.k.a. What, what in the States we call a daddy long legs, which... I don't really like just because it does lead to confusion. Apilion is a better word, but <laughs> just a really interesting animal because it does have all these qualities that we associate with other members of the, of arachnida. Um, and lastly, and the reason why I saved the best for last, you guys know exactly what I'm going to talk about. Uh, I'm going to talk about my late pet who, who died last year. Cadavra. Oh. Cadavra was an ambly piggot. And she is absolutely, or was absolutely, a living fossil alongside of uh, her, well, not her species, but her order of Amblypiggy. And Amblypiggy are a fascinating arachnid that if you look at their abdomen, you see those same dorsal plates. So it looks very primitive. It actually looks almost identical to a trapdoor spider's. And then they have these massive, ferocious-looking raptorial pedipalps that are meant to uh, grasp and rip prey a part very similar to what a praying mantis does. Um, but what's fascinating about them is that they're utterly harmless to humans and, and mammals in general, unless they're small enough to get uh, caught by those claws because they do not have any venom. And most arachnids actually don't have venom. And now I realize I'm ranting about something that doesn't have to do with living fossils. <laughs> but you, you know, what's, what's, what's cool about that, the reason why I saved the best is for last is just because I feel like I have bragging rights because I used to own a living fossil. So, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> do you think you'll get another cadavra? I think someday. And if I do, it'll have to be a pair because that was my big regret was not breeding her. So, yeah. So James wants lots of baby. Yeah. Uh, well, they're the fossils. most social of all arachnids and they exhibit paternal care. So it's, you know, I mean, how can you not want like baby ones if they're like that? See, I liked Cadavra, James, but also she horrified me just because <laughs> she. I would be so scared if I woke up and that thing was next to me on my pillow. <laughs> so it looks like it, they look like aliens to me. They do. Like there could be an they alien. They look that like looks aliens. Like that. No, absolutely. So, wow. Okay. Living fossils. James, I, I didn't really know what living fossils were until you, uh, you explained it. So. Oh, good deal. Thank you. I learned something new. <laughs> um, you guys, is there anything that you want to add to our combo before we draw from the vase? I think we're ready for the vase. Yeah. All right, you guys. Here, Alex, take it. Okay, all right. Draw from the vase, baby. All right, we'll get one from the bottom. Yeah, get one from the very bottom. Oh, all it's right. been neglected. Okay, you guys. Next week, we are talking about 
what will happen if aliens are real? Oh. Yeah, what will humanity do? And this was suggested by Jordan in Austin, Texas. So, Jordan, thank you so much for sending that. That seems like a timely topic, considering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it might be a little, a little when this airs, they might already be here. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Let, let's not talk about it, James. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys, next week we're talking about aliens. Alex, who does our music? Music is by Grant Cook. You can find his music on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube Music, iTunes, Amazon Music, 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 Music. All of them. <laughs> also, we just want to tell you, if you guys want to submit any topics, because I don't think we've said this in a long time, if you want to throw your topics into the vase, you can send them to us on our Instagram, at 13th Floor Podcast. I think it's at, at 13th Floor Podcast. You can also email them to us. And if you want your topic to go into the special Patreon vase, just like Henry the Hosts did, um, we draw from that vase once a month. And there are fewer in there than in our community vase. So if you do want to submit a topic there, all you have to do is go to our website, 13thfloorpodcast.com, and become a patron. All of our information's on there. So you guys, until next time, we hope that you can keep, keep it straight. Oh, look, it's a snakehead. Daryl, get me my bow.